Hey, before we get to today's episode of The Virtual Couch, an episode where I'm going to share four very specific things out of acceptance and commitment therapy that, that is going to change your life. That is a very bold statement, but you'll, uh, you're going to walk away from it. I know you're going to, to want to take action. You're going to feel uh, just uh, revived. You're going to feel energized. But before we get there, I'm going to try to do something new with my, my betterhelp.com ad. I've got my phone in front of me. I've got the stopwatch out. I'm going to try to take care of this in less than a minute. Am I ready? On my mark, get set, go. So as a therapist myself, of course, I would recommend that everybody give therapy a try. Truly, we're all hanging on to things that would be helpful to process, or there are things in our life that we maybe thought we would achieve by now, or there are things that we desperately want to achieve so we won't live a life full of regrets. So if that is you, or if you you owe it to yourself, just give therapy a try. And if you're not up for going into somebody's office, sitting in a waiting room, um, if you've tried to get a hold of a therapist and they are booked out for a little while, you can try betterhelp.com. Just go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash virtual couch, all one word. And take a look at the world of online therapy. I'm realizing now I never hit start with my stopwatch. So let's pretend now that I'm just very, a few seconds into this ad and go. Uh, go check out what uh, oh growing number over, over half a million people have already done before you. Sign up now by going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and get the help that you need, the help that maybe you didn't even know that you need. Um, there's a board, a board. Now I'm rattled. I'm watching the stopwatch go. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's uh, counselor network, which might not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log on to your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You get thoughtful and timely responses. They will help and assess your needs and help match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. You can even specify if you are working through OCD, anxiety, depression, if you want a, a an acceptance and commitment therapy modality like we're going to talk about today. And you can sometimes start communicating in under 24 hours. So do, oh, do yourself a favor. Go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll receive 10% off your first month's services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself to at the very least go check it out. Go ahead. Pause the podcast right now. Go do it. I am not going anywhere. And I feel like I just cheated. I just hit one minute on the ad, but I did not start it for a while. But still, that's faster than most of the BetterHelp.com ads I've done. All right, let's get on to the virtual couch. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into episode 181 of the virtual couch. Having a little first world problems today. My iPad didn't charge overnight. Oh, the horror. Oh, the terror. Um, but I am still your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified mindful habit coach, a writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict. Now what? An expert and a former addict to answer your questions, in which I play the role of the expert. And also, I'm creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that's helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put it behind you once and for all, and trust me, it can be done. And here's the key in a very strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And please visit the virtual couch on Instagram. You can also find a virtual couch page on Facebook or Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. And if you have a minute, you've enjoyed any of the virtual couch podcast material, please do me a favor and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And also go to tonyoverbay.com. I know I say this over and over again, but exciting things are coming for real, real exciting things are coming. So sign up for the newsletter there and you'll hear more about a lot of the things that uh, that I cannot wait to tell you more about. Um, I also wanted to take a quick moment and read another review that came in this week. It uh, it came in through the iTunes or Apple podcast app. And, uh, and I'm seriously grateful for people that are taking the time to rate or review the podcast. 
I'm subscribed to a service that actually lets me know whenever anybody leaves a review and it shares the review with me on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. And so admittedly, I'm not really sure how to know when a review has been left through other podcast apps, but I really appreciate anybody that has left me a review on anything other than the Apple Podcast app or iTunes. And I still want to offer you a virtual couch magnet or a sticker. Just send me uh, the review at contact at tonyoverbay.com and include your address. But here is today's review. Incredibly insightful and wonderfully helpful. Um, this person says, I've been listening to the virtual couch now for well over a year. And while I know it doesn't take the place of a therapist, I found that listening to Tony has helped my mindset shift for the better. I always look forward to each episode. And that is from, uh, from Brooke. So thank you so much for sharing that Brooke. That really does, it really kind of does mean the world to me. I cannot lie. Okay. So let's jump right into today's episode. So recently I was driving home. It was a very snowy, it was a very snowy trip. I was I was driving home from Idaho where my wife and I had gone and swapped out a car and we were able to say hi to a couple of my daughters that are attending school there and my son-in-law. And it was an amazing time. Really loved everything about it. But we wake up early on the, the day we were going to leave and it had been snowing a little bit overnight. And I grew up in Utah, but I haven't been back there in, or I haven't lived there in 20 something years. So I've really avoided snow for the most part. And I haven't driven in snow in quite a while. And I jump on the freeway and uh, and from this uh, town of Rexburg up to a place called Idaho Falls, it was, we followed behind a snowplow the whole time and going very, very slow. And, and then we got onto Idaho Falls and the entire, across the entire state of Idaho, we were in just snow. And it was uh, these two little rutted roads or the, the freeway had two little ruts and you were kind of just staying in those ruts. And uh, it really wasn't as scary as that sounds. I've been in a little bit more... Um, more scary situations with the snow, but uh, just kind of settled in there. Was going a little bit slow. My wife, thank goodness, was able to just fall asleep, and and so I just was uh, just listening to things, and I just was getting to that point where I don't know if you ever get this way, but I was antsy. I kept going from podcasts to audiobooks to music, and I just couldn't find my groove. And so then I put on a, a oldie but a goodie. It's actually not that old. The book came out in August, but it's one that I've been referring to a lot lately, and it's uh, Dr. Stephen Hayes's A Liberated Mind. And he's the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, or ACT, as we'll refer to it for the rest of this podcast. And I came across, again, a section that I feel is just so good. I, I It's one of those where I wanted to share it. And uh, and so I'm, I'm calling a little bit of an audible. If you're not familiar with that term, I had other plans for what I was going to record today. But this episode is another one of those that just was wanting to kind of get out of me and be shared. So we're going to talk a little bit today about these ACT skills. And there's a particular section in the book, A Liberated Mind, which I am going to, needless to say, literally read from. So thank you, Dr. Stephen Hayes. And I highly recommend that people go get that book. But he's talking about combining these ACT skills. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit today. But there were a couple of things that I just felt like uh, there's some good exercises here and uh, that I think that you will walk away today with a little bit, some action items, some takeaways that are going to really point you toward more of this life that you want to live. I find that what I'm hesitating on right now is how cliched a lot of this can sound. But man, sometimes I remember a client long, long ago when I used to say, hey, cliche warning, or I'm about to use a cliche. And and they said, hey, don't apologize about those. I mean, cliches are cliches because they're said a lot because they most likely have a lot of uh, truth in them. And, they're, and that is true. So I'm probably going to do a few cliches today. But first to start out with this this part of the book, A Liberated Mind, that I, I want to get to. Um, Dr. Hayes talks about a study that was talking about ACT methods and how how effective they can be and how immediately effective they can be. So he says, to show you how the skills can be combined and how readily you can begin making progress, he said, let me tell you about some results seen in a study evaluating how ACT can help people cope with chronic pain, one of the most difficult conditions to treat. 
And again, as a therapist who, who loves ACT, I work with ACT with everything from anxiety and depression of OCD, addiction, and, and it truly does work in these settings. And it's because of the way that this modality, kind of where this modality comes from. It starts with this, this concept of uh, you're, again, you're the only person that has all the experiences that you bring to the table um, from nature and nurture and birth order and DNA and abandonment and rejection and, and grief and loss and all of those things make you who you are. And that's why no one else really can truly understand what it's like to be you. And uh, even in, and as I am a big proponent of empathy, um, you can maybe now understand even more. And, and it's interesting. Here's a tangent. I was listening to I found a true crime podcast at one point yesterday that I listened to a couple episodes about a, it was a murder somewhere in, in Canada. And uh, the person that the, I think the dad at some point who had had a had lost a, a teenage daughter um, long ago had mentioned that he, he said that somebody at the hospital, some he said his psychologist or psychiatrist, whoever it was, had said, hey, I know what it's like. My grandpa died a few years ago and and bless that person's heart for saying that. But that's one of those situations where you can truly, you know, no one can quite understand exactly what you're going through, that even that psychologist or that psychiatrist meant well by trying to share a, an experience where they, too, had lost a loved one. But they were telling it to a father who had lost a teenage daughter, and he was going through a lot of these emotions around, could I have done more to protect her? Um, why did I let her go out that night? Those sort of things. So so even when we say, hey, I know what you're going through, you know, and that's that's a good dose of sympathy, not not empathy, but sympathy. Sympathy is the man. I'm so sorry. But uh, but why when people try to put that in terms or in this framework of making it feel or sound like empathy where they say, no, I know what you're going through. You know, I've I've, I've lost a, an aunt, you know, or that sort of thing that it's, again, bless their hearts. But that's why it doesn't quite just resonate. And we kind of go, man, thank you. You, you. you get it. Instead, we go, no, you, you don't know what it's like. I mean, I'm talking I'm, I'm a dad. I've maybe lost a, a, a daughter, that sort of thing. So um, so so that's just kind of setting the, the table for act where, again, it kind of starts with this. Uh, hey, you you feel and think and have the emotions that you do because you're a human being who has gone through the situations and experiences that you've gone through up to that point. And, and that's a really, you know, trust me as a therapist, that's a nice place to start instead of starting from this place saying, Hey, your thoughts are all wrong and they're negative and they should be something else. So, so he talked about a study that was designed to explore how, again, training and act methods could help prevent sick leave and disability in Sweden. So again, this is a this is a study on ACT and chronic pain. And chronic pain can be such a difficult thing to work with because, again, jump into this empathy mode. I can feel like I have had pain or, or you know, these sort of feelings, but I really have no idea what it's like to be in that person's shoes, the person that's sitting in, across the couch from me and saying that I have this chronic pain, this debilitating pain that I cannot move forward with. So the study was designed, uh, well, it was conducted in 2004, and at the time, he said an outstanding uh, or an astounding 14% of the working age Swedish population was either on long-term sick leave or early retirement due to disability. Uh, Dr. Hayes said public health workers, nurses, care providers for the elderly or people with disabilities, daycare workers, etc. were the worst off. The average public health worker in Sweden missed two and a quarter months of work every year and up to 50% of them had already been on disability at one point or another. The two primary reasons for Swedish and they said, quote, sick listing were musculoskeletal chronic pain and stress or burnout. The study targeted individual public, self health, public sector health workers who were identified as being at a higher risk for long-term disability. It was conducted by Joanne Dahl um, in collaboration with Annika Wilson, 
who was a student of Joanne's and Kelly Wilson, who was a former student of Dr. Stephen Hayes. So all Swedish citizens, it's important to note, have free access to medical care, including physicians, specialists, and physical therapy visits. In the early stages, treatment included explaining how to avoid stress, um, incorporating relaxation periods throughout the day, and improving exercise, sleep, and diet. He said that half of the participants were also randomly assigned to receive four individual one-hour sessions of ACT, one each week, and he said the results were stunning. This is what kind of led to this podcast today. I'm going to talk about what those four individual one-hour sessions of ACT looked like, but first let's get to the data from the study. He said over the next six months, the high-risk workers who were getting only medical treatment as usual missed 56 days of work due to sick leave, and uh, or about half of their assigned work days. Statistics tell us that about half of these workers will leave the workplace permanently or go on full-time disability and never work again. Those randomly assigned to receive the four hours of ACT training, this is, this is incredible, uh, missed on average only half a day of work over the entire six months, a 99% reduction in sick leave use. The participants given the usual medical treatment had 15.1 medical visits during that time. The ACT participants had 1.9 visits, an 87% reduction. Pain and stress went down in both groups equally, but what is important is that the ACT participants had reduction in pain and stress while going to work, whereas the medical treatment as usual participants had so many work absences that they were now headed toward a lifetime of disability, just as the government feared when it identified them as, quote, high risk. So Dr. Hayes asked this question, what was in those four sessions that could have had such a dramatic impact? The ACT therapist asked participants to consider what they really wanted in each of 10 areas, uh, 10 life areas, work, recreation, community, spirituality, family, physical self-care, friends, education, parenting, and intimate relationships, and barriers that were keeping them from living in accord with those values. So those things might be like a negative body image, keeping them from going to the gym, or a fear of failure, stopping them from asking their boss from a new responsibility they'd like to take on at work. The therapist handed out copies of a figure to fill in, and uh, the figure, I, I believe, is available on Dr. Hayes' website, and I'll include that in the show notes, but the figure basically shows this center. The center of this picture is a circle that says me, and then um, there are arrows pointing to each one of these uh, 10 life areas, and then a in, in the way of the arrow or on the arrow is a word that says barrier. So participants were asked to fill out this, he calls it a life compass, uh, writing about what they really wanted in these domains. So attention then turned to considering what internal barriers stood in the way of moving in those directions. An example might be how a fear of pain kept them from exercising. Then they considered the ways that they had been dealing with those barriers. So one might be procrastinating about going to the gym. And next, they took a hard look at their coping strategies and evaluated whether they were actually means of avoidance and whether those strategies were working. And I think that's the part where it really kind of hit me uh, as I just hit the microphone um, that hit me while I was uh, while I was listening to this part again, while I was driving through the snowy tundra of Idaho. So are those strategies working? You know, how, how is that working for you? Is it Dr. Phil who says that? How's that going for you? Or how's that working for you? This process helps with accepting the need to, he says, drop the rope and accept the need for acceptance. Dropping the rope means that one of the best ways to, they, they say, win a tug of war when you're going, when you're having a tug of war against the negative thought processes in your mind or against the negative self-talk or against the, you know, the, the stories my brain is telling me is to drop the rope. That's the way you win the tug of war. You just drop the rope. It's like, okay, well, there you go. Um, and accept the need for acceptance. 
He said it also helps target thoughts and emotions where you can then apply the ACT skills. So they applied a lot of different diffusion and acceptance exercises to the unhelpful thoughts and emotions that they'd identified. And at the end, they made a commitment to taking one or two actions that would be consistent with their values, such as calling a friend or taking a walk. So in the next session, the therapist worked more on acceptance and diffusion skills. And then they added in um, presence exercises, asking participants to deliberately call up difficult thoughts and feelings. And, and here we go. And sit with them while noticing them with an attitude of dispassionate curiosity. That's the key phrase there. So, for example, they were asked to notice where their body felt a difficult feeling appeared and then drop their struggle with it. At the end, they reported on how they'd done in taking the action they'd committed to and they made a new commitment. So, and I did, I think I didn't do a nice job of calling out that that first session was when they filled out that life compass, writing about the things that they really wanted in those domains. And, and it is really a key there. So in work, you know, if you want to, if if things that are important to you in work are um, feeling like you are, you know, you, you make a difference. I know that's uh, again, here we go into the world of cliches, but for some that is very important. And I can speak from experience after spending 10 years in the computer software industry where it, the, 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 the financial part was fine. There was some travel there. There was a little bit of creativity. But I, I remember telling my wife that I would feel often like I was just peddling, you know, I don't know. I used to say things that maybe weren't didn't sound very productive. Peddling. Uh, <laughs> why, why, what I would say is like, uh, hey, here's my fake dog vomit. I mean, that is like, I don't even know if that's a real thing. But I was basically saying I'm just peddling this thing that you can buy at a novelty store and I'm trying to pitch it at a lower cost. Now, the truth is the software that we sold was was pretty um, uh, technical. And so it was more than just fake dog vomit, which again, I don't even think that's a thing that people buy, but I, you know, at times that's how I kind of felt like I was, it's just, I was pitching this thing and that went against my core value of really wanting to help or wanting to make a difference. And, and here's the thing about act. If your core value or is not, I have to make a difference. If it's just, Hey, I want to be engaged in work or I want to, I want to be able to do something that that occupies my time or that uh, that I, you know, that I that I relatively enjoy. Um, that's OK. But I was one of those that kind of felt like, man, what am I what am I doing? Am I making a difference? And that was part of that pivot in my early 30s to go back to school, to become a therapist, uh, really having no idea of what was what was truly ahead. But uh, but that that part really speaks to me. So in this life compass, you know, filling out these things, education if that's important, parenting and children. I mean, I really wanted to, when you're kind of looking at um, what you really want in the domain of parenting and children, there was a certain relationship that I wanted as a parent. Um, I, I truly wanted to learn how to be the person that their kids could really go to and open up to and want to to share their struggles with. And knowing that that's not going to ever be perfect because a teenager's job is to figure out how to, how to kind of pull away from a parent. I mean, we want that as a parent. Um, for them to be able to figure things out. But then also I wanted to be the one that was that they knew that they could come to and uh, and help them figure things out or um, friends or, OK, the physical well-being. I mean, I had uh, I just knew that this was I always had this goal that I wanted to be playing um, basketball with my my son at the age of 40, at the age of 50. And so far, check, check. So those are things that didn't you can't just wake up and say, OK, I'm 50. I'm going to play. Um, it, it took a lot of uh, continual exercise and and uh, just kind of being very aware and and not fusing to the I'm too old to do this story as an example. So that first session of ACT really was the how are, what are these things that you want out of life? And then how are you dealing with those barriers that stood in the way? And uh, and he didn't, Dr. Hayes didn't exactly call it this, but 
um, in my mind, you know, when he says, consider the ways that you're dealing with those barriers, I, I kind of looked at that as, hey, what excuses am I making? And I'm the only person who can really, really know if I'm making excuses or if there are things that are true. Like if, you know, if I've had a complete knee replacement or or I can't walk, then I'm, that's not a story my brain's telling me. Oh, you're fusing to the you can't walk story is why you can't play basketball. No, those are there's real things that are involved there. But I also knew that uh, when I got home, you know, was I was I really exhausted and tired or, um, you know, could I could I get up and do more? And uh, and even that at times, you know, sure, I might have been exhausted or tired. But in an act, if my goal, my value based goal is to still stay active with my kids, the older they get, then I'm not even arguing or debating the story of uh, am I am I tired? That's not even a, am I tired? Is that true or false kind of a statement? It's not a productive thought toward my goal of wanting to engage with my kids. So again, first session, you fill out that life compass. You take a look at the barriers. Um, are those strategies working? And then what are the what are the ways that you're, what are your coping strategies? You know, if it's the, hey, I just need another hour of downtime. I mean, is that just, um, is that really a means of avoidance? Or do I really need to have that hour to rally and then I'll be more present with my kids? But that process helps with that need to drop the rope and accept the need to have acceptance. Now I realize I'm starting to sound like I'm talking definitely in cliches. Um, but the second then one was the second session was the therapist working on acceptance and diffusion skills, and then talked about bringing up these difficult thoughts and feelings and emotions. There's some really cool diffusion skills in, in ACT. Uh, there's, a, there's a few of them. One is um, that you really do, I, and I've got my iPad and I'm holding up in front of me right now, that if you if you take my, my iPad, or he says that if you write some of these um, almost like excuses or some of these thoughts or these things that are emotions, these difficult emotions, write it on your hand and you basically stick your hand right in front of your face. Uh, this is that one where, okay, you know, when, when you can't see past the emotion, when you can't see past the, you know, these stories my brain is telling me, um, then of course it's going to be hard to go out and do, do things that are important to you. So um, Dr. Hayes, one of the diffusion techniques is, is seriously just talking about, I'm just going to set my hand down on my lap or I mentioned my iPad earlier. I would have been holding my iPad up in front of me. If my iPad represented the, the thoughts or feelings or emotions that I have that I'm not, I'm not saying that I shouldn't have them, or I'm not trying to just immediately get rid of them because we know that that doesn't quite work, but I'm just going to set them down in my lap. You know, I'm, I'm aware of these feelings or thoughts or emotions. Um, I'm just going to set them right down in my lap, but I'm just going to kind of keep on moving forward again, not trying to beat myself up for having them. I have them because I'm human and, and I have the emotions and feelings and thoughts that I do, but it's, what do I do with them? And we know that thought suppression doesn't work. If I try to tell myself, don't think about those thoughts or feelings or emotions, then my brain does a pretty masterful job of saying, oh, these feelings, these emotions, this this thought, you know, you mean this one? So instead, it's really just recognizing those thoughts, feelings, or emotions and kind of just, just sitting them there in your lap while you're going to go uh, continue to try to do the things that are important to you. So he talks about deliberately calling up the difficult thoughts and feelings and sitting with them, noticing them with an attitude of dispassionate curiosity. Uh, for example... People were asked in the second session to notice where their where in their body a difficult feeling appeared and then try to drop their struggle with it. At the end, they reported how they'd done in taking the action they'd committed to and they made a new commitment. The third session involved working on values and self. And this is this is honestly, here is the part where I thought I want to record this. Um, he had them write down what they would want most to be seen or written about them after their death. And uh, this helps people look more closely at the self story that they've been weaving and they see the contrast between how they've been living and the way they would really like to be living. So let that one sink in a little bit. How, how would you write about, uh, you know, what would you want people to see written about you after your death? 
Is it that you were a kind and compassionate uh, husband or father, or you were, you know, you were a devoted member of your faith community, or that you were, you know, you did all you could to to be there for others, or you put your your spouse's and family's needs above all, or you know, what are those things? Because I think that you can see why this exercise can be so powerful. Because those are the things that you want people to know. If I want, if I want my kids or my legacy to be that that I, you know, that I was uh, upbeat and positive and somebody that they could always turn to, yet then I found myself continually angry about my job or frustrated with my finances. And so then I was manifesting this anger and frustration, then I need to do something about it. That's that need for acceptance that I talked about in that, that second, uh, that second act meeting, the, the, the one where I said that, where I started saying I'm talking in cliches, um, where Dr. Hayes says you need you know, this process and that second session helps accept the need to drop the rope and accept the need for acceptance. That's what I'm talking about. The, the accept the need for acceptance that if I am doing things or if I'm not actually living that life that I want to write about, that I want people to feel like that's me, then I need to accept that, drop the rope and say, okay, what, what can I do? You know, I need to do something about this. So, so that, again, that third session, um, working on values and self. So writing down what you would most want to see after your death. And then that helps people look more closely at the self story they've been creating and the contrast between how they've been living and the way they would really like to be living. They also did more acceptance work playing a game in which they wrote down their mental barriers on cards. I thought this one was interesting. The therapist first tossed the cards at the participants, telling them to bat them away. And after noting how much work that battle took, they were told to envision taking these cards. And so again, on these cards um, were written down the mental barriers, the things that got in the way of going after these values or living this life that you want to live. And, uh, And he said, envision taking those cards and putting them in your back pocket and carrying them with you on your life's journey. This helps to see that acceptance is actually easier uh, it's an easier route. They also did some additional diffusion and um, self-exercises. So that's that third session. So it really is working on values, working on self, then looking at these mental barriers that get in the way. And instead of trying to bat those mental barriers away, just just take them with you, put them in your back pocket. So the mental barriers can be a lot of those, again, these stories my brain is telling me. And this is where I love to give examples of something like if uh, if someone wants to um, you know, write a, if they want to write a novel, then that one, it, that one immediately feels good. There's a little bit of dopamine going to the pleasure center of the brain. Yeah, I'm going to write a novel. And then immediately here come these stories that my brain is telling me, these mental barriers, the, well, uh, I don't even, I, I'm not even a very good writer. And so again, if we then hook or fuse to that story of I'm not a good writer, then we're done. We don't even have to go chase after this dream that we have this dream that we've always wanted to write something or be a writer. If we can just fuse to the, I don't know, I'm not a good writer, then we're done. So we're not even arguing or debating if if you are a good writer or not a good writer. You put that mental barrier of I'm not a good writer and you just note it. Okay, there it is. I'm going to tuck that away in my back pocket and I'm going to continue to work toward my goal. Because guess what? You can learn to be a good writer or you maybe are a better writer than you think, but your brain, again, is just going to throw these stories out of you. And let me take a quick let me take a quick break here too. Dr. Hayes gave me a gift in this book, A Liberated Mind. I love um, externalizing certain things, certain behaviors, certain, um, when I work with people that are struggling with addiction, sometimes I like to externalize the addiction. If the addiction is pornography, we talk about pornography being this dark cloud that then descends upon a, a, a very nice person. So sometimes we even name the dark cloud. I don't know, I like alliteration. So sometimes, uh, 
you know, pornography might be Pete. So the person will say, man, I was just there. I'm minding my own business. I'm having a good day. And here comes Pete. You know, Pete's knocking at my door. Then you can sometimes recognize, okay, why, when does Pete come around? Well, he comes around when I'm bored, when I, you know, when I'm not, when I haven't had anything to do for a while, uh, when I, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, when I'm tired, that's when Pete comes around. So I love this idea of externalizing. But what Dr. Hayes did was he also talked about, he said it can be very powerful to to name your brain and uh, name it. You know, I've got a a, a friend where we've named his brain Barry. And so there's the person and the things they want to do. The person wants to be a good writer. But yeah, doggone that Barry. You know, Barry's sitting there saying, hey, uh, you're not a very good writer, you know. And so one of the most powerful things you can do in ACT is just, hey, thanks, Barry. You know, thanks for chiming in. Noted. Um, man, I, am I, am I going to share this one? I, I, maybe I shared a little bit of this earlier. Uh, I've had some people that, uh, they, long story, but they were maybe mentioning my name. Somebody thought that they were talking about a guy named Toby, um, Toby. And they said, is Toby a life coach? So there are times where I've got a alter ego, Toby, the life coach. And he's the guy who just says, look, all you got to do is this, you know, he's great at giving out advice. Right. So, uh, I love referring to, I used to always just say, thank you brain or noted brain, but now it's Toby. So, uh, you know, so when there's these things that, you know, um, come up that, that where I feel this imposter syndrome where I, you know, where I was speaking a lot of places a couple of weekends ago and, and over the span of a weekend and man, you know, I was, I was just on fire and just loving every moment and having this great time with my family and friends and, and speaking at podcast festivals and firesides and recording podcasts. But man, Toby was right there with me and there were, you know, there'd be times right in the middle of a, of a, where I'm speaking and Toby's saying, um, you know, you're not gonna be able to keep this up. You know, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. And, and you know, it's almost like you're kind of saying, okay, well, hey, thanks, Toby. Really not asking you right now. So can you just kind of sit over to the side? So I love that concept of, uh, you know, when I say stories, the brain is telling me or it's the stories that Toby is telling me. Um, Dr. Hayes also says it's he calls him the dictator within. I've had people in uh, in religious setting say, can I just call that guy Satan? You know, Beelzebub, the devil, the father of all lies. It's like, you bet. Whatever it is, it's kind of you know trying to get you to defuse from these productive thoughts or move you away from these goals. Um, but uh, now I feel bad if anybody's named Toby. I'm sure there's lots of really good Tobys out there. So in this, um, th- so that's the third session. In the fourth session, the participate participants reviewed the barriers that they needed to address in diffusion exercises, which involve learning to listen to the mind as you might listen to a storyteller rather than a dictator. This session ended with them telling their group their values in each of the domains and how they were going to pursue them. So that's session four is really getting in touch with Toby, getting in touch with, you know, the dictator, getting in touch with the brain, getting in touch with Barry, getting in touch with that, that, that voice within and saying, hey, I appreciate what you're sharing with me. Um, I'll use it if it's productive, but uh, I'm also going to just kind of go do my own thing here. So he says, given the remarkable results in just those four hours of work, many of the participants clearly made pivots and continued to ap- apply the learning. So Dr. Hayes, and I'll just wrap this up by sharing the results of this uh, this study in, from Sweden. But he also talked about how long do the results of such simple engagement with ACT practices last? He said, we don't really know. It is common to have follow-ups that go more than a year, and they almost always last that long. But the results from studies with longer follow-ups are promising. He said a recent example followed over 108 people who had experienced nearly a decade of chronic pain. Three months after brief ACT training, 46.9% showed significant improvement in psychosocial disability. Three years later, the figure was nearly identical at 43.1%. Three years later from, uh, from just this, uh, this pretty quick ACT training. Another study followed 57 people dealing with depression who had been taught the ACT skills five years earlier. 
At the time of their training, their average score on the most widely used depression measure was deep into the clinically depressed range. After just four ACT sessions, 39% of the participants were depression-free, increasing after six months to 52%, and after five years to 57%. So even five years after only these four sessions, two-thirds said that they were still using ACT methods, and only 6% were still using antidepressant medications versus five times that number when they started. Their scores on assessments of their psychological flexibility and their life satisfaction improved dramatically. When asked what they thought had helped them, responses included... I've been able to influence my own well-being. I don't get stuck in feelings. And I love that. Influence my own well-being. I don't get stuck in feelings. I see them as separate things. So what he's saying there is, you know, I see these feelings or these these stories my brain is telling me as separate things. I see them as advice from Toby, <laughs> advice from Barry, um, that sort of thing. So a lot is, this person went on to say, a lot's changed in my life. I've gotten better at handling those changes. No fighting with past matters. And as I've talked about in a previous, a couple of previous sessions about it, talking about ACT is we, we talk about ruminating or thinking about the past, talk about looking into the future as those are just ways that our brain's trying to orient, but they, they basically keep us away from the present, the right now, the, yeah, but this is what happened in the past becomes a noted, Hey, thanks for the info, Barry. Um, that's, uh, that's some good, that's some good data. Uh, I'll just kind of tuck that away in my back pocket right now. Um, I'm not even arguing that that happened in the past. Or, okay, but how long can you keep this up? What's that future going to look like? It's like, I don't know. Not really sure. I mean, we'll, we'll kind of take a look at that when we get there. So again, I'll put that one on these uh, note cards and put them in my back pocket. That We are worried about the future. Thank you, Barry. Um, I appreciate the, uh, the information. So, and Dr. Hayes says, these results may seem startling, but he said, are they really? You just showed your, you showed with your body that you have the same kind of wisdom that these clients woke up to. They stopped avoiding. They backed away from their mind and its stories. That is such a key. They backed away from their mind and its stories. They stood up inside their awareness. They turned toward what they cared about, and they began to walk in that direction with the painful parts of their history coming along for the ride. He said they learned to pivot. Let, let me read that paragraph again, because now go back and look at that, you know, these these 10 areas of your life, and what do you want to be? You know, how do you want those things to be? What, what do you want to be written about you um, in those 10 areas of your life? Then you look at what are those barriers, you know, what, and then how do you accept them? How do you accept that those are not necessarily productive thoughts or these barriers are not helping you? And so those become just these stories your brain's telling you, right? So he says, you showed with your body that you have the same kind of wisdom that these clients woke up to. They stopped avoiding. They backed away from their mind and its stories. They stood up inside their awareness. They turned toward what they cared about and began to walk in that direction with the painful parts of their history coming along for a ride. They learn to pivot. Again, we're not even saying that, that things that were difficult that haven't happened in the past or that they're not going to happen in the future, but we're kind of dealing with the, what do we do right now? And that is turning toward things that are important to you and then being aware of and dropping the rope on that tug of war with those barriers. Um, you know, I could go on and I could go on, but I think we're going to, we're going to wrap things up right there. There's a, there's a wonderful, let me do this. Let me read, uh, read one quick uh, additional section in this book. Dr. Hayes said uh, that one of the that there are a lot of people that talk about ACT online, and I do see that. There's some really great ACT groups. You can go find them. And he talked about a, an author. He says the author calls himself Tim. He says people can have fake names on the list. And he said that this person was offering a new list member on this Yahoo discussion group for ACT. Um, they were He was offering advice to this list member who was struggling because the person said, my anxiety is so bad that they couldn't uh, cope without heavy doses of benzodiazepines. So Tim responded in a wise way, obviously born of a practice in pivoting. And so I'm reading, so here's a, what, three layers of quotes. You're hearing me read from Dr. Hayes's book, a 
email or a, a, yeah, an email or post that a person named Tim had put on an ACT group, if you can follow that. Here we go. So this Tim said, like most of us, you've arrived here having already programmed yourself up with a lot of harmful nonsense. He said, that's okay. We've all done the same thing. It's a very human thing to do. You didn't do anything wrong. However, you're still the one that has to take responsibility for setting things straight. This list can be a great help, but you cannot look beyond yourself for solutions too often. You are the most important part of the process. When I say nonsense, I mean the mind falsely transforming very acceptable things into terrible things. The point is, you got a lot of work to do, so summon all the strength you have and get ready to be very patient with the process. Prepare yourself for ups and downs as you proceed. Your mind will definitely scream to you that you're off course when you're not. Don't believe the hype that it gives you. Don't worry about where you're supposed to get to. Assume that you'll be doing this work for life because you probably will, and you'll be better off for it. You'll likely emerge at some point into a clearing and feel the urge to pronounce yourself healed, that you've now rid, you're rid of all that stuff. He said that's a trap, because the next little whiff of that stuff has the potential to drag you right down again, and your mind can turn anything into, quote, that stuff when the fear alarm is ringing. Be okay with being a work forever in progress. Allow for a place for pain in your life. That's always been reality. Your mind will come up with crackpot theories about how you can find a new life with no pain or unease at all. That's a lie. What happens if you buy into all that? Well, no version of reality has a chance of ever being good enough. And your mind just keeps saying, ah, keep running, keep fighting. We're not there yet. He says, I beg to differ. Even now in the midst of pain, you're so very, very close to the valued and fulfilling life you seek. Because what you are right now is all that you truly need. Challenge the notion that you have to get to somewhere else. There are things about our habits that we all need to change, but we can start by just learning to see, to be here, and to care. That will take time, though a vital life is half a step away. It's not a step that's easy to take. Fear and sadness and entanglement is hard to turn away from, but it can be done. And Dr. Hayes said, and I agree, he was deeply moved by this uh, person named Tim's message. Dr. A says, we human beings have such a hard challenge, and yet every wisdom and spiritual tradition says what I believe, that we have within us the possibility for a vital life if we can learn to cultivate it. I love what in this message, this uh, this writer, this Tim said, of where we keep thinking we're running, we got to keep fighting, we got to get to this place where there will be no pain, where it's this place of just happiness and unicorns and rainbows. Um, he says, I beg to differ. You know, we're so close to, to this pivoting toward a life that we've always wanted to live. And, and I just wanted to lay out today that the data shows that when you start pivoting toward that life that you want to live, and again, it is a process and you get really good at not listening to those stories that your brain's telling you, then you you start the, the numbers, the data is, is literally here that shows what a significant change in your life that can be. So there is my hope to you that you too can be on its journey to, to having a more liberated mind. And that you can start to do these pivots toward the things that are important to you. And they're important to you because you're the only person that is you. And so anybody telling you that you shouldn't think that that thing is important, then go fly a kite. I don't know. Is that what old, is that, I'm old. Is that what I say? Go pound sand. Go jump in a lake. <laughs> what are some of the others? Bless their hearts, though. Um, because, you know, even people saying, well, you shouldn't worry about that. Or you shouldn't care about that. Or you don't want to do that. How do they know? I mean, they, they don't. That's them. You're you. So you know the things you want to do, you know the things that are important to you, and then uh, so as you start moving toward those, you're still going to see these barriers that pop up. Those are those stories the brain's telling you. Those are those things that you're, uh, you know, uh, if your brain can get you to fuse or hook to those stories, then you don't have to keep trying to do the things that maybe seem 
impossible or things that seem, you know, that go against the socially compliant goals, the things that people are telling you you should care about. And, and you know, you got to learn how to diffuse from those. Anyway, I said I was going to wrap this up. So uh, um, I hope that this makes some sense. I hope that you can start to uh, identify those things that are important. Drop the rope on those mental barriers. Tell Barry to go take a hike. Uh, bless his heart. And, uh, and you can start moving toward the life that you truly want to live. And um, I will share more about this in the, uh, in, the, in the coming episodes. All right. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Virtual Catch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter